Imagine that you are a super yacht agent in Papua New Guinea. You are a Melanesian expedition leader. You're a cultural guide. You're a food provider. You're an executive chef. And you're the owner of Pacific Provisions and Melanesian Luxury Yachts. If that's not enough, then on top of that, you have a business with a real social conscience and you're working with domestic violence and empowering people to generally do better in life. Today, episode 50 of the podcast, we got to sit down with Ange Pennyfather. And she is a wonderful, wonderful person who is doing some amazing work with super yachts, cultures, and so much more. Today's sponsor is, um, what's our sponsors today, Scarlett? Suncoast Fresh app. Check that out on the App Store. It does all your uh, ordering for you. You can get in there and put your order on. You can order anywhere, anytime. You can uh, look up all the newsletters to get inspiration. And uh, it's got pricing and stuff on there. Check that out. makes life much easier for you if you're a chef. And the other one is Chef Notepad. Uh, Gilmier, wonderful guys, invented this uh, ordering, or not ordering device, it's a costing device. So if you're a chef and you need to understand your costs, which you all do, check that one out because there's loads of ways of storing recipes, costing recipes. Uh, you have to have that if you are a chef. So let's get into today's with Ange, and you're going to love this one. Episode number 50. Okay, you ready, Scarlett? I'm ready. Ready to go. And thanks for coming down, having a coffee with us and some beautiful pastries. We're at my house, which is um, just down the road from where you stay when you when you hook up in Brisbane. Um, you've got an amazing story, and uh, I want to get into finding all about uh, Melanesian yachts and super yachts and <laughs> rock stars and volcanoes and aeroplanes. And Ooh. so, how did you get into all this? Um, okay, morning. <laughs> um, how did I get into this? I finished school in Brisbane, went to Cairns and decided to work on scuba dive boats just as a galley hand and then ended up learning to cook on boats. Um, and over time, one thing led to another. <clears throat> I went to university for a little stint to do nursing and then realised I really wanted to be back at sea. And we used to hear rumours, this is about 20 years ago now, we used to hear these rumours about these uh, white boats, they used to call them, overseas, where you could go overseas and at the time, um, you know, the Australian dollar was 50 cents to the US dollar or whatever it was. And at the time you could go and, and work on these boats and double your money. So I'd just come out of uni and I thought this is a great way to go and do six months working on a boat making money, sending it home, doubling it, paying my hex debt off, come home. So that was 15 years ago. Went overseas, didn't pay my hex debt. <laughs> but... <laughs> the best bit of the story already. Did you pay my hex debt? We're going to call this how to not pay your hex debt. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it just opened my, my eyes to this whole other... Um, industry of, of the super yachts, as they call them now, or, you know, or mega yachts. It is and, a world that nobody knows about. Which is interesting because you find that probably 50% of the industry, if I, I'd go as far as saying maybe, well, let's say 90% of the industry is South Africans, Kiwis and Aussies, and then the rest might be some Brits and, yeah. And, and when you go overseas, like uh, the main ports will be Europe, south of France or... Um, Florida, 
Hey, that's that's how you find on these boats. So anyway, I started on these boats and I worked up, um, didn't do any nursing, went back and became a chef in the galley and ended up... Handy skill, but on your resume. Very handy skill. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and and I knew from a very young age that I wanted to get paid to travel. I've known that since I was about 12. So I knew it was a very practical decision in my early 20s to learn to cook and be a nurse because I thought I can be anywhere and I'll get employment. So that was that's not a coincidence. Yeah. Right. That's kind of what I'm doing, trying to do anyway. I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I highly Don't recommend it. <laughs> There's three other bosses that are listening to this. I'm saying for a while. Yeah, so that, I think I started on the boats about 15 years ago. Gosh. Um, and then... After about 10 years, um, yeah, about five years ago, it w- there was a need to come home. My partner was uh, not doing great health-wise. And I, what I'd noticed in that last year of yachting was people, traditionally the vessels go from Europe to the Caribbean, Med-Caribbean, Med-Caribbean. It's called the Milk Run every year. But what was starting to happen about uh, 10 years ago was that some owners were sort of looking to venture beyond the norm, a bit more adventurous, and the, and the profile of the yacht, owning client went from sort of they have this image if you watch you know some shows on on certain streaming (laughs) they have this image of being like margaritas and champagne in the south of France but actually a lot of yacht owners are family people you know they might have kids grandkids and they wanted to go further afield so there was a trend of boats coming to the south pacific and I found people were starting to ask me more and more for recommendations because um, I'm born and raised in Papua New Guinea and I can tell you now that there's probably two other people in the entire yachting industry from Papua New Guinea. So, of course, people will start saying, hey, Ange, you know, if we're going to, first it was PNG or Fiji because people assume it's you know, right next door, you know, what, what can we do? How do we get there? How do we? And so I started to see this trend. So when I was um, thinking about coming back home, I thought, well, you know, what, what are you going to do? I can't go and work in a restaurant because I don't want to own a restaurant. It's I just didn't want to commit that much of my life into it because restaurants are hard work. Um, and the other thing is when you're working in a kitchen like on a vessel, is you have full creativity. Um, you can make what you want. You suggest from day to day. So that suited my personality, but I couldn't go back to just working off a menu. So I came home and I saw this opportunity and I thought, well, why not, you know? Um, so I started a, a yachting agency that specialised in vessels coming to, first of all, PNG, then it kind of has grown. I'm going to start a yachting agent. Like that must have been a, a like, did you have that plan from when you were doing nursing as well or? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. I didn't really have that plan. Look, I I'd sort of stumbled across that plan. I came home. I knew I couldn't go back overseas for long periods, um, you know, age and you, know, you give up a lot when you work overseas. So where was home then, sorry? Brisbane, well, Sunshine Coast, Brisbane. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, it's always traditionally been in Australia. Yeah. It's always been Brisbane or Sunshine Coast, but home, home is New Guinea to me. Yeah. Okay. So I knew I wanted to be closer because in the 10 years of being away, you know, when you work and travel, something to take note of is you, you give up a lot, you miss out on birthdays, babies, funerals, and I was coming into sort of 35 then, 30, late 30s, and I, I just wanted to be closer 
parents are aging, so all those things, normal things. Um, I knew that boats were coming. I had the skill. I just didn't know what that skill was. And a good friend of mine that I knew from my yachting days had actually asked me to become a guide and um, work as a contractor for them for a company called EOS Expeditions. And they've always traditionally done the polar regions. But Rob was born and raised in PNG as well. And he's like, look, we've got more boats coming. Do you want to be a guide on these boats? I was like, sure. So I transitioned slowly from leaving the galley, excuse me, leaving yachting overseas to then just three or four months a year on these boats, guiding, coming to PNG. And when I was on board, that's really when I was like, okay, I, I would watch these vessels go and I'd see who they were dealing with on land. And they there was no one with a dedicated service for luxury yachts. So these vessels are coming and they're dealing with big shipping companies, the same companies that are dealing cargo carriers and cruise ships. So there was nothing. They're still like so. And I found that even though I was employed as the guide, um, I'd every time something would go, you know, you get to a port, you're in the middle of nowhere, I speak the language. So they'd bring me up to the bridge and say, hey, listen, Ange, can you ring up the fuel company, find out what's going on here? Can you do? So I learned on the job because that's how I learn. So I was like, bingo, I can do this. You're a unique human being then because you can speak how many languages? Because they have many languages. They have, uh, PNG them. has over 850 languages alone. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. <laughs> Solomon's has something like 90. So between Solomon's, uh, Papua New Guinea, I mean, we've got a quarter of the world's languages. Wow. Down. Mm. And how many do you have? Yeah, only five. <laughs> English <laughs> being one. <laughs> Com- confidently, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, are they similar? No. Yeah, they're all interesting. Yeah, right. Okay, so you're sort of you're up on your way now. You've worked that you've got this unique skill. You can speak a bit of the language. So what happened? What happened next? What happened next was I took a leap, went and got a website, called myself a shipping agent. You know, learnt learnt the basics online. I looked into some online courses at University of Tasmania, and I was like, sure, I can do this. You know. Started a shipping agency. So, so uh, can I interrupt there? And sorry, um, that there is a point that we, you know, you did say leap, but having a, taking a leap like that is what most people don't do. Correct. So right there it was a point in your yep. life where you either do a leap, yep, and you risk probably yep. what you think is everything yep. at the time, and probably isn't anything. Yeah, in be, hindsight. I, yeah, 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 in hindsight. <laughs> but even if you didn't, it yeah. didn't work, then you still would have been fine. But, yeah, but that risk, you know, it, it's it's a, it's a big leap. So good on you for doing that. And I just want to – the reason I'm saying that is I do encourage people to take those leaps. So awesome. Good on you. Keep going. Well, to your point, and I also feel quite strongly about that, and I've, I found myself telling people who are thinking about starting up businesses – that moment a lot because it's like the first time I bought a house I thought there was this big mystery and you had to be a grown-up and you had to have all these different things to buy a house and you buy a house and you go on settlement day you're like oh that's it you know (laughs) that that was it that was the big mystery (laughs) and you realize that it's it was such an empowering moment for me because you're right taking that leap and it didn't happen easy I had everyone close to me who really loved me saying for, for years, like three or four years, do this, do something, do something. And the self-doubt, uh, I mean, the self-doubt 
if you give into it, it, <laughs> it, it really destroys you, right? Mm. And I remember taking it. I remember the small things like getting your email address or getting a domain name. And I was shaking. Like I feel nervous recalling re- re- it. But And the very, very first time I sent an invoice, <laughs> I laughed because at the time, I mean, like I, I sent the invoice and you look at the amount and you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, I've overcharged you. And you go and you start, you start like scrubbing it out, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and you've got like a markup of like, four percent or something and then and then you send it and you're like why did i work so hard <laughs> wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. That's <laughs> right. and oh, i laugh now because the invoices i've sent since day one have obviously there's a few you know more zeros at the end but um <laughs> but it's so important that first time and you never look back because you only get that sh- you get the opportunity once so yeah if anyone is thinking about do it just go for it just fail and start again if you have to, but just do it. Yeah, they say a lot of people fail a couple of times, and I, and I, I definitely did. So, um, my favorite saying at the moment is "fall forward." Yeah, fall forward. Yeah, I love it. just keep falling forward. You yep. got, get some pads on your knees. <laughs> fall yeah. forward. You're good. You can do this. Yeah. <laughs> Inspirational, and so tell me some uh, of the adventures. I mean, and what you're, what else you, what else you're doing now? Um, so you, that's you've got this business, and you're, you're. Um, tell me, what are you, what are you doing? Right. So we got this business. It went from an idea to a little business. And for those that don't know anything about shipping agents, we're basically just. Um, don't just it. <laughs> we're like a concierge <laughs> service. For, because all all vessels that come visiting a country, most of the international ones, they've got foreign flags on them. So they can't operate, you know, they can't, for example, go and buy all the things they need or do all the things they want without local knowledge. So the agent is basically the broker, the middle person. So they engage our services. And the most common services we would provide would be um, uh, guiding is first and foremost. That's the adventure, probably second favourite part of the job. Uh, we'll get to the favourite later. Uh, we provide them with fuel and ship stores, provisions, which is, you know, how I know you guys. Um, but for the most part, vessels come, <clears throat> um, we're talking with, a, you know, probably the top 5% earners on the planet. So it's an interesting thing I do because um, you kind of get this fast track to sitting in, in a really intimate place with someone who's quite often high profile, not necessarily a celebrity, but certainly politically or in a business world um, but we take care of their vessel so they'll come I'm usually on board as a guide a cultural guide and yeah PNG Solomons the Melanesia's quite a diverse country I don't think a lot of Australians certainly realize what's so close to their doorstep mm. like it it comes with risk look if you if you believed everything you read in the paper you'd never go and I and I'm, I'm not sitting here saying that um, they're unfounded. Those, those risks are certainly true if you're in the built-up areas. But the one thing about where we go on the boats is, and the clientele is that we have vessels that take us to very remote areas where a lot of that risk is minimised. And we also don't travel, like the, not me, but the clients don't travel commercially. So they have the the wealth to afford their own infrastructure, which means that we operate under the radar. So I take them we might go to the highlands. Um, as you touched on before, there's over 850 languages in PNG, so alone. And that gives you some idea of the cultural diversity of the country. Like mm. 
not dialects, languages. So you and I <clears throat> were sitting here in Wilston, but by the time we get to um, Ipswich, it's a completely different language. Like, so most, the way I like to describe most of Melanesia and certainly PNG is it's a nation of nations. So what I try to do is um, bring a positive story about the country to my clients because if you read that, like, you just have to go to Google and put it in and <laughs> you won't go. Like I said, you'll hear stories of tribal warfare or crime in, in built-up urban areas. Um, and it, I, I could see that when I was taking people to these places, I mean, we're climbing volcanoes, we're going to, you know, waterfalls, we're doing really cool stuff that, A, you just can't do in the West anymore because everything's so regulated, right? Yeah. Pretty much. Um, and you, it costs you a fortune. I mean, it, you've got to get to PNG to do these things. But once you're there, it's still like the Wild West in many ways in for good and bad. Um, so I get to show these very, very influential people a really positive story. And what I find is that they leave the country. Um, nine out of ten people come up there expecting a certain thing, like if, you know, the scenery the and language. Nine out of ten people will leave, my clients only I'm talking here, and they will tell me that the highlight of their entire time is the people that they meet because there is a sense of humanity and that's why I do it. That's the best part of the job. Okay, that's absolutely the number one part of the job is that every single day you're reminded of the good things in humanity mm. and and it was it's a wonderful thing to be able to bridge that. Like I said, it's my, my own little anti-establishment way of fighting and saying, you know, newspapers, you can have your crappy stories, but, I mean, I'm talking, you know, this family is going away and they're quite influential, like they own you know, the internet or things like that. And their experiences <laughs> are very different ones. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, when yeah. they're having their cocktails in New York or wherever they're, you know, London, there's one little person in my corner going, actually, it's not what you think. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So that's, in essence, the, the first part of what I do. And then out of that, as we've grown, because um, we just, we went from, everyone said to me, first year of business, first three years of business, you're going to run at a loss. So I was bracing myself for it and it just, um, I, I was just lucky. It just didn't happen that way. Mm. So we, we certainly didn't make millions and we still don't, certainly not through COVID, but we went from the first year of having, um, first year of operations officially was five years ago, uh, from having four clients. And then last year before we went into lockdown, I had 21 vessels. That was in a, like a three and a half year period and we were gaining momentum. Um, because the stories, the thing about yachting is it's such a small niche market and word of mouth trumps everything. No one's looking for me on the internet. Captains are talking to captains, crew are talking to crew. They're jumping off vessels and they think they're going, look, we're thinking about going to PNG. And when most of them will go, oh my gosh, you have to meet, you know, if you're going to Japan, you'll have to meet so-and-so. If you're going to Numea, you have to have, you know, Chloe. If you're going to PNG, you've got to meet Ange. So that's basically because for the rich especially the currencies trust so they will and and that's basically how the business has grown and from that all our services have grown um but we've tried really hard we're not a big company um we've tried really hard to keep it our social core um and values really strong and 
yeah, that's that's a really big part of our, our business. Let's talk about that. <laughs> you want to talk about that? <laughs> you know, I, I want to, you know, yeah. you, I know you do business with integrity and I know you've got more than just a business here. And, you know, you talk about the people and tell me about some of the things, um, how you potentially might empower people or, you know, some of the stuff that I know that you've spoken to Scarlett about, not me. Mm -hmm. So um, tell me about that stuff. Well, um, yeah. I look. I, I'm half Papua New Guinean, as you guys know, and half Aussie. I feel blessed to have a foot in both worlds. Um, and then I think for anyone who's um, either travelled to uh, countries where there are less fortunate, or certainly those of us, <laughs> <laughs> just relax, Ange. They said, "It's moving plates." Come on. Um, <laughs> Sorry. To no, no. Um, I think for anyone who's got a foot in both worlds and you have this sort of social responsibility, um, I certainly feel that working in in the regions I work in, um, I there's a lot of issues, um, too many to name, but the main ones are obvious for me that are personal to me are gender balance um, right through the Pacific. I'm not just saying PNG. Uh, we're looking at over 90% average in most of the Melanesian countries of uh, domestic violence or some kind of abuse, whether it's physical or sexual, which is alarming. Um, these are United Nations stats. You've got um, health issues with women, um, you know, dying after childbirth just because they don't have clean water, like really simple fixes. I'm not talking about a cure for cancer here. Mm. Um so when you first, when you're exposed to this a lot of the time and, you know, whether whatever your cause, whether it's animal well, welfare or whatever your cause is, um, you start to, if you're like me, you start to get a bit overwhelmed at first. It can be a bit overwhelming. You're like, how can I help? Oh, I feel hopeless. Um, and then you're like, a, I want to give up. And I go through the whole thing. And then I realised for me that, I was watching these patterns. A lot of people doing business in these countries, um, they're quick to point out all the things that are wrong. But I couldn't see what anyone was doing to fix it that was different to what had been trialled and tested before. I'm not a big believer in, um, and what I mean by that is I think in the past it's easy and we're all guilty of this, myself included, of trying to band-aid things. You, just because someone's poor we shouldn't give them money, you know, um, and looking at the systemic problems, which is hard in a country, in a nation of nations with, you know, so many different little subcultures. But what we made clear from the get-go was that we wanted to make sure that every single, we were fighting the fight in our own way. So instead of just complaining and saying, oh, my gosh, you know, I just can't get the skilled labour and this person never turns up to work because they're always drunk on this or this, you know, he, I'm like, okay, well, what are we doing? Like if we're going to complain about it, then what are we, each and every one of us, doing to try and change that because it's I, I have a very low <laughs> my friends will tell you that I have a very low tolerance for people who complain about situations and then keep making it's that nothing changes if nothing changes like okay problem let's try something different so what we started to do is um, we made a commitment to try and make sure that we were employing men of a certain age so all the guys I employ all indigenous people uh, indigenous um people in the countries I work in, 
There's certainly a profile. We started to find guys, most of them I know them from back in my scuba diving days. Um, they were at an age where we knew that they were about to get married or they have young families. They're a high, like the perfect profile for domestic violence um, because of whatever social issues uh, or poverty mainly. Um, and so we started to employ them and give them a try and give them a reason and a purpose. I don't just employ people up there because the way it is, excuse me, uh, culturally, I employ the whole family in a sense in that if you're coming to work for me, I want to know your wife. I want to know how many kids you have because ultimately when that breaks down at home, I'm going to have a problem at work. And I also then introduced um, some of my Australian or staff um, my friend Jimmy, who lives up the road, who were similar age um, role models for the men to have and they could see that, hey, here's a guy who's my age, he speaks, he's really respectful to her, um, he doesn't, you know, he does all these things and he's still cool, mm. you know, without resorting to anger or he works out, um, he has kids and, and so the stories were aligned, but, you know, so I was try, tried to introduce positive role, role models for the, for the guys. We try to do programs for them where anything time we can do training for them. We also treat them as team members and we wanted to make sure that they were always seen as people who work with us, not people who work for us, which I know it sounds so simple, but that language is so, so important. I love that. Do you know what I mean? Like... You want to build a team and you're talking, you're operating in a country or a region where if you know nothing else, it's the two things matter, land and family. And family is everything. Now, we used to have that a lot in the West. We've lost touch with that barely. We've got a nuclear families, but up there, family is everything. So if you want to really be successful, you need to include them. You need. So I know each of the boys' um, wives I know how many kids they have. I know when the school fees are due. I can always tell back and forth. I can tell that, they're, you know, um, if they're going to be struggling with it or not. Because, And we try and put in places where when we pay them, we have different structures. So it's not just here's your 500 bucks a week. Um, but also we're going to pay you this much. And instead of uh, the superannuation, which in, it, it's not as important to them, they need money now. Mm -hmm. The existence up there is in the now, it's survival. We pay for school fees. We talk about plans to, you know, educate. So we try to look at all our staff in that approach. And what we've created is a really loyal group of people. We also don't pay minimum wage. And when I say minimum wage, up there, minimum wage is um, it's about 70, 70 cents an hour, 70 Australian cents an hour. Wow. Yep. It's crazy. And the stop, stop complaining, Scarlett. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously, Scarlett. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we decided that we weren't going to pay that. We pay what we, what any other deckhand would get paid on a yacht. So, so quite often now I've got uh, four guys who are like my guides. Sometimes I'll bring them on the vessel with me or sometimes I put them instead of me. It's up to the client if they're comfortable with that. Um, they're all dive masters. Um, and like, like I said, we speak all the time. We try to do this. We are a family business. Um uh, so that's how we try and operate just within staff culturally and that's our little way of saying, okay, um, if they're happy then we'll reduce. And not, none of them have in touch wood in the last 10 years, none of them have ever laid a hand on their wives. None of them 
have been abusive ever. They're not in jail. They run out of money all the time, you know, and we have. But so I feel and and the other thing we've done is that we've led by example. So um, as if Jimmy was here, he'd say, you know, you're building an army or we're building an army because what happens is then other people in the community are going, oh, what are they doing? Ask Angela if she's got a job for us. So suddenly when we go back, it's, it has filtered through other communities. I had a, it, there was a celebration uh, last year for Independence Day and um, people, like, I was over, I was just completely humbled by the fact that five different island communities, maybe three or 4,000 people had come together to the, my one of the main communities I go to and support to employ, a lot of my boys come from there and they just had this big celebration and all their speeches are like, you know, we want to make sure that you say thanks to people at Melanesian Yachts for bringing in income because we always go there and, and we treat them just with respect. And again, to go back to what I was saying before, it's really important and this is my big thing, and I won't harp on about it today, but is to fight residual colonialism, which is still rife through the region. And the way that we do that is, in, for me, is baby steps and it's that you work with us, you don't work for us. Um, they've, they just have not used to that. They're not used to being valued. They're not, you know, a lot of the labour force up there. So we try and do that. Um, and then the other really cool thing, probably the best part of the whole thing, is that, as you know, I've touched on my clients are in that top 5% earner. So most of the time, um, once I, it's not an expectation at all, but what we found, historically speaking, is that most of the time, like 80% of the time, I'll take you and your family if you're, you know, you have a yacht through the region and we go and we have these experiences and, again, they're really authentic. Mm. Like it's humanity. You can't script this stuff. You can't, it doesn't, it's not on a brochure on a hotel lobby. This is something where I, we rock up to a place and I go, hey, Graham, what do you reckon? Do you want to try and climb that mountain today? <laughs> or, 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 or sometimes it's something that is like, hey, do you want to go and see this thing? Or sometimes it's, we just heard about this crazy thing. Do you want to come for a ride in the back of a truck? Just one second. Uh, hello? Do we, um, just got to make a quick call. Do we, do we have a yacht? <laughs> I can get you one. We, 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 don't, we don't have a yacht. Okay, so I can't come, unfortunately. I can sell you one. Okay. <laughs> I'll do you a good deal, I promise. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we just have to have the integrity conversation, then now I'll buy one. So, um, so you're on there and you go, do you want to climb this mountain today? Right. To bring it back where you were. And it doesn't matter whether we are climbing a mountain, whether we've got kids on the back deck, because we trade local food as well wherever we travel, and that, and it's that human connection. Like we go to these remote places and you'll be sitting on the back of your vessel and the canoe will come up with a kid and he's got like five of the biggest mud crabs you've ever seen and he'll, he'll say, look, can I get, have a, can I have a football or, or <laughs> you know what I mean, or can I have a and, – and so – But that's the biggest thing coming from Africa that I notice. It's the gratitude and the yes. simple pleasures for the locals. Humanity. Yeah. yeah, it's insane. And you can't put a price on it. Sarah's forgot the speakers are on finally. <laughs> <laughs> she remembered right at the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so what we found is that you, for me, if I'm doing my job right, that's what they leave with. That you can have, I mean, there are beautiful beaches in Australia. There are beautiful mountains in Australia, in America, wherever you're coming from. The thing that we have, which is just, oh, if I could bottle it, and sell it, you know, I'd be, I'd be a millionaire, is um, 
it's the genuine humanity. So people leave and they go, that was an amazing experience, but it's not because of that or this. It's because it's this, like it's in your heart, right? And I'm not just some hippie. It's, um, so what happens is people are genuinely touched by these experiences and more often than not they'll say to me, we want to make a donation and to where we've been, what do you think, you know, um, what, what, how can we help? And so we've started to get this nonprofit up where people that want to donate, they, some people are very specific about what they want to do and we just uh, honour that and other people say, look, just tell us what you think um, and it will be, you know, we it doesn't sound like huge amounts of money but uh, the last year, so pre-COVID, what was that? 19. Yeah, 2019. <laughs> uh, we got 73 Five thousand US dollars worth of donations. Now that—that's big on seventy cents an hour. It's huge. Yeah. So we, from that, we can buy water tanks, which is something that almost every aid post we go to because we go to these remote areas. Um, so we can put a water tank and we attach that to a school or a um, hospital. Normally, um, again, especially maternity wards. Clean water. Clean yeah. water. That's all. That's as high. I mean, they've got rain every day, but no collection for it. Right. Uh, we can put it towards fixing a radio tower. Some we've done that in in certain places. We eradicated um, some of the villages suffer from really bad form of tinea called tinea imbricata, which looks like um, scaly skin with patterns. It's, it's just get the bug gets under your skin, and um, you have to burn clothing. And there's a four day treatment. It's you know, and a couple of pills. And we managed to take it to a village um, that one of the guests. It was a village. It was, this is a classic story. So we take them rafting. I say that in inverted commas because we helicopter them into the middle of an island and they sit down and they make bamboo rafts with the locals on the side of this riverbank and then it's like paddle boarding and then you just gondola downstream <clears throat> and we call it rafting but it's like a two-hour zen activity. Yeah. They love it, right? And But in that process of coming downstream, you know, kids and villages are swinging off trees and throwing pomelos at them and all sorts of stuff. And by the end of it, you know, they've had, and it's amazing. It's an amazing experience. But, uh, and through that one activity, uh, one of the clients saw um, this small village where we were making our rafts that, that there was like 37 people really badly affected by it. Went back and he was like, what can we do? So we sent up 70 cases of clothing, um, bed sheets, linen. I just put a shout out on Facebook. All my mates were like, yeah clothes we sorted it put it on Amanda, a vessel that? <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably the biggest thing to come out of that's probably my real heart project um and that was starting to happen a lot um you know that's the bit that we do for for free and for fun because it's the right thing to do um which is interesting because as a, as a result of doing all these things through covid as you can imagine um i I run a you know a shipping agency for vessels traveling internationally. We haven't had much business at all, um, virtually none, and that's okay. Um, but what it's allowed us to do is go back to the drawing board and really go through the business with a fine tooth comb and say, okay, for example, the food, um, our, all our provisioning for the yachts, um, the imported stuff or exported from Australia, we were getting from here from you guys. Um, that was outgrowing other arms of the business, the provisioning, because we started to find that vessels were using us in PNG, 
were then saying, look, you know, the produce is amazing. It's the best we've had in the South Pacific. Can you help us out in the Solomons? Can you help us out in Fiji? So during COVID, we've actually created a new company called Pacific Provisions, So, um, which will operate once the brakes come off this pandemic. Um, and we'll make that food dedicated. And the other thing that's been really interesting as a result of our charity work is that we're starting to, we, myself, um, my partners, um, are starting to comment on how we can uh, help with sort of just logistics and distribution in general in the region because we've had some um, experience in it, yes, certainly with aid, aid and like people are asking us about, you know, what do we think about building an aid post here or, and, and that's cool. Mm. Yeah. That's, cool. yeah, that's, it just, keeps, it just is growing. It just keeps growing. growing yeah. Growing, yeah. There's no money in that bit. Just that, that's just yeah. the fun part. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. yeah. So you're doing all this charity work and you're, and you're working with these people and then, then somewhere in the background, you're organizing bee pollen for somebody and all these <laughs> yes. wonderful weird things that we, yeah. we, uh, we go searching for you. And yeah, wow, what a thrill. Um, so when you're, uh, when, what sort of food are they doing on yachts? Like what are they, what are they eating? The Do, clients are eating whatever they want. What about the what are the challenges of you know you said that you know you're allowed to be free free and do mm. whatever you want, which I think is awesome, and that would suit me because I have no idea how to follow a recipe. But um, yeah, is that is that what sort of happens on all yachts? Because you're in this little bunker, you know, you might end up with a heap of pomelos that got thrown at you when you're on a thing, like you know. Yeah, good question. So generally speaking, when you're going on a vessel, um, you would have if you're the chef you get a spec form before, so a special request form. Ideally 10 days before charter, sometimes not. But <laughs> <laughs> but generally speaking, you know, on that form it will have, say you're the primary, as we call it, you're the main primary charter and your entire family and so you've got Scarlet's food needs, everyone's dietary requirements are all laid out and you're reading it, you know, and it's got every well, allergy <laughs> in the world. Gluten-free, yeah, vegetarian. Yeah. All of it, <laughs> yeah. Loves me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all in the same family. Yeah. Um, so there's only so much you can get locally. So as far as tropical fruits go, obviously we got that covered. Um, but because of the nature of the client, and this is where the provisioning arm really sort of outgrew the rest, they, they want their Michelin star meals, okay? They want... On, on the uh, special request form, we might just say, just an acai bowl. It's never just in anything, right? So <laughs> um, th- there's no such thing. So the chef normally will send us a, um, a list and we now have to go through the um, – we then have to come and get most of it from uh, a supplier, right, because there's no blueberries in the Pacific and most of the stuff they want, you know, they're, they're microgreens and they're, they're, you know, edibles and they're – Everything, and that's just the fresh produce. It's the, the dry goods as well when they want, like, their dehydrated sweet potato flour, like, <laughs> uh, you know. Um, so they, we then probably, we shop most of the, our stuff, not most, um, all of our exported stuff comes out of Brisbane because um, the supply chain is better here to the whole of the Pacific, even though I live in Cairns sometimes. Um, the network from Brisbane Airport's better. And we we go around and we try and get as much as we can from our suppliers. So we'll go and get our cheese from the cheesemonger and fruit and veg from you guys and meat from the meat supplier. Then we have to take it to freight um, and it has to be certain 
products sometimes they don't allow us in certain countries. There's certainly restrictions on import. But we have to, on the receiving end, go through all the importation uh, documentation, so import permits. Um, We then pack it up, cold chain it, so box it, take it to freight and send it to wherever it has to go. Um, I don't like our produce to be in transit for more than 48 hours. Um, Up until the point that it gets to the freight forder in Brisbane, Everyone's happy. Mm. The moment it's in the air, we just brace ourselves sometimes because you're now talking about sending it to countries with uh, compromised logistics Mm. (laughs) infrastructure, right? Um, 50% of our clients will private plan it in. So quite often um, I will charter an aircraft and it works out just as cost-effective as putting it on commercial, but the thing that we really gain is time because I know that if I'm got an aircraft departing that it's going to be on the vessel within 48 hours because it always lands and the receiving country has to go through their imports um the customs quarantine team have to go down all that kind of stuff gets to the boat and hopefully surprise surprise (laughs) and your eggs didn't make it (laughs) so do you have a plan b like obviously you've got a menu and you know that all this produce is coming across but what happens if all your eggs break, what's your Yeah, time? it happens. Yeah, you just got to be diverse. You can't, you know, to go back to what you were saying about if you're a yacht chef, if you want to be a yacht chef, like I, you know, I know straight away, and this is where I knew there was a market in the South Pacific. I've known that for a long time when I was chefing. If you're doing what I said before, the milk run, you're going between the Med and the Caribbean, and you've only ever done that, then your first season in the Pacific is a rude shock. You know, because you can't just go down and get your little heirloom tomatoes. You know, I've got, I've been in in places where someone's going, but I can't get my petit pois. I'm like, I know you can't. Like, you know, you need to be like. I bought some heirloom tomatoes over there, actually. I saw, you know. um, So I, you need to have, there's a certain, you can be an amazing chef on a boat, right? And you might do amazingly in a restaurant. But if you're, you can't survive, like it all, any, any good chef knows it all comes down to organisation. Mm-hmm. If you are not organised and you're on a boat, you're not going to last very long because you don't, you're, you've got to have a plan mm-hmm. B, okay, and you've got to accept those things going in. And most clients are also accepting of the fact like, you know, I've, I've been in Costa Rica and someone, you know, a client crying over not having his yellow cherries so, you know, send the plane to you. There's certain things you're just not going to get. Yeah. That's, that's just how it is. And we tell them that from the get-go. But as a chef, if you're cooking, you need to make peace with that from the get-go in that um, and when I was, you know, when I was back in my day, uh, <laughs> when I was chefing in the Pacific about 10 years ago, we had, like, we did a season through Micronesia and I had iceberg lettuce at the travel seven days from, uh, 17 days from Hawaii in a briefer container to get to us. And we just were like, suck it up, make it work. And you, I knew the client because was, it was a private boat, so I'd just say to him, listen, this is what we've got. And if he didn't want, and that's what happens. So if you want your rocket and you want your edibles and you want the chi-chi meals, then we sometimes have to charter a plane. So it's up to, then up to the client. But you do have to build in a certain amount of contingencies, and I say that to all captains and all chefs, especially working in the South Pacific, this business that we run operates on probabilities and contingencies. 
okay? The probability of the goods arriving on flight QF7, whatever it is, at 3 p.m. and being on board by 5 p.m. is 30%. The probability of it making it on board by 10 p.m. is 70, you know? This is like coordinating trucks in the market, actually. It is. Yeah. It's like... Well, you can yeah. put this business front up and go, right, this is what we do. <laughs> yep. But then there's a whole lot of reliance on all right. this other stuff. And, yeah, you know, the, the logistics. The, yeah, and we can be at the front telling everyone what we do and then, holy shit, yeah. make sure that rocket gets on that right. thing. <laughs> yeah. Because, you, you know, we, have, we, we try and look at it in, with the supply chain stuff, especially for our provisions. And provisions for us is not just food. Because we do uh, deck products, we do um, well anything, anything they need. Because we're basically the broke, so they'll ring up and say, "Hey, listen, can you go and get this life boy, wh- whatever they need?" So we we always oh, say to the girls in the office, "You got to look at it in two parts. There's the export part, which is where you guys are. All the suppliers here to get it to the freight forwarder is the export, and then you're done, and you go back to the warehouse. Then that's the bit when we start to like kick in." Yeah. That's the import part because once it leaves, it's like you said, are the trucks there on time? Where is he? Is the freezer working? I, I have literally paid for someone to stand outside a reefer for eight hours to make sure that my produce didn't come out and go and sit on a tarmac. That's chilly and cheddar, everyone. <laughs> Back at Wilson, you were all of a sudden were in the Pacific. <laughs> we, were, we were watching a ship being loaded and the dog barks because the bin truck and brings us right back to Wilson. I want to go back to the islands now. Take me back to the islands. Tell me about some other, any wild experiences, you know, in the ocean. We mm-hmm. all see them on every single movie where, you know, nearly everyone gets washed away and, you know, any, any amazing I stories. Look, I don't want to fear Margarita. I want, no, you, no, I no. want you to come. No, no, I'm coming. I'll come. You give me a piece of paper right now. I'll sign that I'm coming. Okay. You're hitting the adrenaline system. No, no. <laughs> no, we, I am, like, honestly. And I think, I think that part of my reason for doing this today is to, is to open up the opportunity for people to actually take that little bit of leap and, and go do things, Sarah. And, <laughs> um, you know, and I, and I think it's, I think it's, you know, you can always come back to your little safety net if you Absolutely. need to, because it's always going to be here. So, I'm, um, I, I, I'm, I'm really inspired, and I'm sure. How scary inspired. do you want your stories to be? Uh, no, <laughs> no you know, I'm joking. Just, just but you know, I'm sure there's lots of uh, not scary stories, so, um, which we've been talking about. There's times. I mean, look. There's some funny stories. Let's go with funny then. Okay, we'll start with funny. <laughs> like, I mean, the requests that we get, especially with the provisioning oh, from the they're, they're so fun. They're always funny. So the person who wants a whole um, lamb and they want it in 48 hours and, and, you know, I've got people in Brisbane going to our butcher and then, of course, the packing container only goes up to like 120 centimetres but because... The body, the the beast is like 130, and like they're, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So we always have those challenges. That's on a normal. That's a day to day thing. Um, One of my last trips I did, we had arranged to go up a volcano. We were helicoptering and to the base of this volcano where this is amazing waterfalls, and you can only get there by chopper. And we rock up to the site. You know, we we plan these trips months in advance, and uh, we broke up to the site. The anchor goes down and I hear this, I thought it was the anchor, I just heard this sort of boom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's, and I I was like, okay, guys, meet you on the back deck in 10 minutes, get dressed, you know, um, 
A team out because we've got a small weather window and two chopper loads. And I go out on the deck, I'm like, huh. And I look up and there's this huge, like the, the volcano just went off. So the volcano is erupting. It's erupting. And it... Timing is everything. Timing is everything. <laughs> but the weather was good. The weather was amazing. I mean, the, not only did the volcano go off, it made like international headlines. It was one of the bigger eruptions in... So oh I'm God. there, we're going, and, and it's coming, this big black loom of smoke is towering over us in like not yet it's coming because it's uh, and we had to make the decision whether to go or not to go so we went we, we were like well we've got three hour window we can still make it to the waterfall and back <laughs> we can chase around the yeah i, I know. love it this is what we call the leap of faith Sarah. yes absolutely sir <laughs> good way to get a suntan <laughs> oh man so we we go up and we go and land at the waterfalls the chopper comes back does a second load and the smoke's coming and coming and we're walking. It's all good, guys. Yeah. <laughs> guys, it's something to do with, like, volcanic ash and flying and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm petrified of flying. But, um, uh, yeah, and then when we, it was time to leave, the, the weather started to come in, the rain as well. And so I was like, oh, okay. So the first chopper load went out and they got back to the boat, okay, and I stayed back on the second one. They're like, we're not sure if you're going to be able to leave tonight. I was like, oh. Yeah, it's probably not my best decision. But we did. We got out. That happens a lot. Mm. Wow. So is that the Solid scary day. or the fun? I can't remember. <laughs> I think that's fun. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. give me the scary one now. No. <laughs> Come on, one's scary. It, it happens, Colin. We've got to, you know, it's Have not going to happen. Have you had a happen. mayday, mayday moment? Um, no. No, I haven't. Touch wood. Not in doing this. But... What happens all the time, and this is a true story. This is actually a story from yesterday. So Are you saying the other story is not true? <laughs> <laughs> so my team of guys, they still do work for me. They do all our, you know, working up there, even in our absence. And we've been working on a project up there that requires them to travel quite a bit, uh, about 150 nautical miles, which is quite a distance. And they travel in pangas or banana boats with Yamaha engines. Um, and this, like I say this with, because it's, it's actually weighed on my mind a bit since yesterday. Um, so they have gone down to do a mission for me, for one of my clients, uh, to go and run some errands and take some photographs of some stuff that we're looking at building and doing. And on the way back, I'm, I'm always worried about what happens, um, safety. There's no safety like minimum safety manning or it's not regulated up there. This is the bad side of things. So they didn't have one outboard engine and they were one paddle and they've got a panga and they left, they finished, the they they started, left the destination. Then they had one stop in a, a place called Pomeo where they were radioing in, they were getting some more fuel. And they sent me a text saying, you know, oh, we picked up the fuel and then they were onwards to Rabaul, uh, which where they were due two days ago. Now, they picked up the fuel, they text me, and then um, I was like, okay, cool, they're on their way, they're on the last leg. We've been doing this for years. People do it every day. It's never, ever been an issue. So you become complacent sometimes. And every now and then life throws you a little spanner to remind you not to. So that was yesterday. Um, they didn't, I didn't just didn't think, um, I just assumed they'd gotten to their final destination and everyone was tired and gone to sleep. I got a text at 5.30 yesterday, which was 24 hours after I would, they would normally have arrived, and um, 
Clem, uh, my main, my lead, um, he just said, we've been at sea, we just paddled ashore, um, engine died. Now, they're always hugging the coastline, maybe they're three miles offshore, but because the weather was bad and the wind was going the wrong direction, engine died. They travel with a mechanic, mechanic pulls the engine up, they didn't have any backup, pulls the engine apart, puts it back together, won't start up. Wind's taken them out to sea, so they oh like, couldn't paddle against it with the wind and the current. And he was just, he was pretty rattled. And then he said, and just through some um, stroke of luck, or wind um, changed direction. direction. And he said, just the three of them just had one paddle and they just took turns and they paddled for the 15 hours. Oh my God. They had food or water in They had some food. They had like fruit and stuff. Yeah. They, we always have food and they had some water. But um, that, so that it happens, right? Yeah. And so we had a quick debrief yesterday and actually as soon as we're finished here, I have to bring him up and see how they're doing today because yesterday I just said, look, let's just everyone have a rest, rehydrate. Um, but it was some big learning lessons for on all parties. Uh, I, yeah, just so many. So it happens. And so that's the thing. I'm like, okay, Reality do check. better, do better, Ange. Yeah. So now you're I mean, have... you're doing really good. So from a safety perspective on your own thing, then you're going to go, okay, well, we're gonna, we need to carry more water every time we do this or we need to... Like, yeah, we just, or like for me, I'm, we, we, we deconstructed it very briefly last night. I said, look, now's not the time to go into who should have done what, mm. but I'm like, there's responsibility on all parts here. A, you know, they get sick of me banging on about the fact that I like to have a spare 40 horsepower engine and every trip they do. Um, and I understand that, you know, that's a, that's a big expense for most people and they can't justify the, the concept of having spares in, when you're in countries where there's poverty, you know, this is one of these things where it's like, that's a luxury item. Why would you not put that to use? So we, we've had, you know, trying to get, convey that's always been quite difficult. I'm hoping that that may change with this. Um, also, we didn't have a good, we didn't have a solid communication plan in, in place. He told me when they took off. He told me when they got to, you know, the first point, which was the fuel, and then we sh we should have had an agreed check-in time for arrival, yeah. and yeah, so it was kind of scary. And the responsibility that, like, you know, not just as a business owner, but as um as a person, like. Mm. Yeah, the responsibility okay. just like, yeah, I can like, feel it coming like, across. Yeah. Uh, people can't see it right now, but you've changed yeah. in the last couple of minutes. So yeah, yeah, it's no, a bit that's, immense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, them's the challenges um, that that must occur in in such mm. you know a place that's so isolated, really. And um, that's it. And like even the first thing uh, when I got off the phone and I was talking to someone else about it, and they're like, "Well, can you send out a rescue?" I'm like, "No, that's the that's the thing. You know, you can't. There's no coast guard." And they don't so, have any form of communication. They have their phones, but no network. So I was like, you know what? They'll get my, they'll get the Garmin, <laughs> my inreach. <laughs> they get an inreach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, anyway. Yeah. Oh, tell us about some other fun stories with some kids or something. Well, let's get <laughs> on to that, okay? Because the kids are just awesome over there. Uh, every kids time are I amazing. See. I pulled into, there's an island in the Solomon Islands, right down the very far east, almost to the top of. Um, very western part of Vanuatu, and it's called Santa Ana. And it's almost one of the bays there. It's almost a perfect circle. It's like a horseshoe that almost touches. And we went in and we're on this 100-metre boat. It's huge. And 100-metre um, boat? Yeah, yacht. And that's just a little one, huh? 
Yeah, just for 12 people. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, how big's yours? <laughs> <laughs> it's in my boat. It's in the um, bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> Remote control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <My boat>. uh, <laughs> um, yeah, we pull on this uh, and the Mr. Mr. Boss is there's Mrs. Boss and Mr. Boss, right? Generally on yachts, we refer to them as Mr. and Mrs. And Mr., who is a little bit more serious than Mrs., Mr. had to leave the vessel for a couple of days. So he'd flown off to do a business meeting somewhere and it was just Mrs. and her girlfriends on board and they were drinking wine and the vibe was a little bit more relaxed. And we pull into this um, anchorage and I go ashore to talk to the chiefs and whatever. And when I come out, these, I don't know, five or six canoes follow me back. And it's not just canoes. Some of them, someone was in like a, uh, like a poly water tank, a small one, like a hundred litre one that they'd sitting in like a tub and like a laundry <laughs> basket and they've paddled out. Anyway, there must have been like 30 kids or something. So Mrs., of course, she's a, no, she's a couple of roses in and she said to the kids, that boat had a pool on board on the second level or whatever. But, you know, here's this boat and it's like bright and shiny and it's serious and they've got security and all the, you know, because security is kind of a, you know, doing their job and they're all serious. And Mrs. is on the back deck and she's taking photos. She's like, oh, my gosh, cute kids. Uh, Do you want to come and have a swim on the swimming pool? And they're like, yeah. (laughs) So they've they've left their canoes, they've left their laundry tubs and they climb up we've got 30 kids. Of course, one the one kid left holding the canoe has gone back to shore and he's like, "You got to oh, come no. and see this. No, <laughs> you got to come and see this." A <laughs> hundred and seventy children later, oh poor God. security is like having a fit on the back deck. We had kids crawling everywhere. The swimming pool was probably I don't know maybe six by nine meters on board. Oh wow! It was. Just, yeah. just crammed. You couldn't see any of the water. And those kids are just screaming and they're, they're jumping, they're walking out on cranes and they're jumping off and doing backflips. <laughs> and then suddenly the mood went from this is so cute to, oh, my gosh, we've got a, we've got a security breach on here. Like Because the kids were, it, the kids in the beginning were like it's sort of five to seven. By the time an hour later the kids were like five to 24, you know. And, yeah, <laughs> um, took us like, yeah but we had, had such a good time. They were just, it was, it was amazing. And it was just like giggling and giggling and giggling. And, laugh. and that's every day. Like you can't go ashore. There's no privacy in a village. You can't go ashore without a, a posse of like 20 kids in tow. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Just reminding you that once Life again, good. it's about the people. Hey? It's about the people. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to quickly go a couple more things, uh, but I want to talk about tribesmen, tribesmen uh, and women, and I want to talk about um, just uh, one thing that you 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 do probably regularly that you just think everyone's got to do, and I, you know, it doesn't. It can be specific as whatever, but you know, or a place or something. But one thing that you sort of you've done a fair bit, mm-hmm. but. You just think everyone's going to do this. So that yep. one question and then and then we'll talk about the tribes people. So the one thing question first? Yep. Okay. Uh, I, the two things I love about, and I say this is touches back on humanity, about PNG um, is the cultural diversity, right? And so what I've seen in my lifetime is that we are watching these tribes vanish. I mean, we've seen it in Africa, we're seeing it all over the world, but especially with the introduction of cell phones. I mean, it's alarming the, the rate at which these tribes are vanishing because nobody wants to go and sit in the forest and for two years to become a man anymore. Or 
they miss the point, but don't they? If, if, if when you go away from that, because these things in our hands, these phones. I, 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 sorry, I'm interrupting. No, go. It's it's actually horrible. Yeah, and it's because when you do lose, it's so hard. It takes thousands of years right. almost to get back to understanding what the forest is about. Slash avatar. Slash you know like. <laughs> Yeah, it's a really tough argument because I I, I agree with you, you know, and there's this part of me that's like, oh, please don't lose it, right? Mm. But then there's this other one and an old, (laughs) I remember an old man saying to me, okay, well, if you want to come and feed and clothe and educate my children, I'll go and continue to live in the bush with my culture. Like they want the same things as we do, but they don't, and they, they can only learn what we've learnt through trial and error the same and making it you know what I mean like how do you stop change and and it's it's coming it's inevitable right and how do you do it while still preserving culture um right now there's like this head-on collision uh, especially with the cell phone invention between this sort of two cultures of like east and west uh, you know and they're just it's yeah it's hard to watch and, and and I get it you know it's like they want they want the same things we want but they don't really understand exactly what they're giving up yet some people do but the one thing they do have in the whole region is that land ownership is still like but we can touch on this on tribalism let me go back to that one thing i digress i digress (laughs) 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 oh how long do we have (laughs) Uh, we have as long as you want because this is i'm sure everyone's gonna they might have to listen to it in two bits (laughs) um the one thing so the tribes the people the cultures right that's the thing the humanity, that's the thing that really you have to experience. So if you were going, if you were coming to PNG and I said, you said to me, I've got like two days, I want to just do one thing, I would strongly recommend one event, which is called the Binding Fire Dance, which is something that you can see in the mountains of Rabaul. Now you might have seen it on that little video, the opening scene of that video. Um, Most people, when I say to them, oh, we've got the fire dance, they go, oh, you know, I saw people walking on hot rocks in Polynesia or in Fiji, this is not that. And (laughs) this is not that and it's not something that I am going to convey or articulate really well. But the Bining Mountains uh, just behind a town called Rabaul, which is um, a very volcanic town. It was buried. It's like they call it the Pompeii of the South Pacific. The old town is completely flattened in 94. Um, But the dance itself is really spiritual and I, it's, a, it's about breaking into, from the spiritual world into the modern world and, and you can only really experience it by going to the Binding Mountains. Um, it's, they're quite a stubborn tribe in that, which is what I love about them, in that over the years, like with some of the bigger cruise ship companies have gone up there and said, hey, listen, you know, we've only got a day. Can you bring the dance down to the wharf and we'll do it by the wharf for the people? And that... They did that for a while and then the elders were like, no, man, like this is actually supposed to be performed on our tribal land. So if you really want to see this, Mm. come to the mountains. And, you know, so I've had the same conversation with my yacht clients um, and that's when they go, well, how long's a drive? I'm like, it's a 45-minute to hour drive depending on the weather. We're Can gonna, we take the foie gras? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we do take the foie gras, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but we helicopter that in. <laughs> Silly question, Grab. Um, so that is the one thing I would say you must, must do. Traditionally, you used to go from sunset to sunup all night, uh, customary, and they still do that for some, um, like, 
for the people themselves, for their own customary performances. They will do it for tourists or a certain group. If we go up to the mountains and we're on their soil, there's no arena. We're doing it on somewhere in someone's backyard or in a meeting place or something. It's very raw. Um, and a lot of people would assume that it's all about the dancers. But actually what you don't see in a lot of the videos and the photographs is it's about the musicians as well. They Right next to the dancers as um, a group of musicians, all male it's a coming in of age. It's an initiation ceremony for the people of that region. And they have these bamboo sticks that they just tap against a wooden floor. They'll put down some planks or something and they sing. It's really hypnotic. It's uh, um, like you after two hours of listening to that rhythm because it's very fast and it goes up and down in tempo. Um, the, actually what happens is that the singers will start singing when you're, and, and your heart rate's like racing. It's like you've been like dancing all night in the club or something by the time it's over. Um, and they, they call the spirit out of the forest and then in the surrounds, as they call, these spirits come out in these form of dancers with the most amazing masks and they build a huge big bonfire and over the course of a cup for us, um, a couple of hours, the, the dancers will stomp the fire out and oh, wow. yeah, it's, it's it's sort of like a very old school Burning Man type thing, mm-hmm. and 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 you know I don't uh, I don't want to say the wrong things because a lot of people have tried to study the Burning people. They're very guarded with their cultural beliefs, and anthropologists a couple have gone up there to try and live and study them, and have given up after a couple of years. Um, but it's quite cathartic. You can put all your woes into the fire. The spirit, you know, coming through the fire is is like breaching through the two realms, but. Really, you just have to see it, mm. and it, it, yeah, that sounds amazing. it. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a walking on fires dance. It's a, a spiritual experience. So, if you had to do one thing and one thing only, I mean, I'm because now all the people listening who've been to the Highlands are going to be like, ah, she's wrong. She didn't say <laughs> us, but that that's one of the things that speaks to me. No matter how many times I see it, every time I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's nothing like it. Yeah. Wow. To do that. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> when are we doing it? Yeah. So that was the tribes people or is that the, <laughs> so no, the tribes kind people? Of both. So sort of that was that was one sort of area. Yeah. Any other because I saw some of the pictures, you know, the the bride with the blue face and then there's I think a red and Oh yeah, the Balawan bride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're all from again, you know, nation of nations, eight hundred and fifty <laughs> languages. Um the most people if they think of tribal New Guinea, think of the brightly coloured painted faces. Most of those people live in the highlands of PNG. Not, I mean, we all have facial painting, but the really colourful ones, the red, whites, blues, yellows, um, they're in the highlands and most of those tribes reflect the birds of paradise. The one thing about New Guinea is um, for bird lovers, twitches, um, you know, it's a bit of a mecca for the twitches. They're interesting Ah, hi, Twitches. <laughs> I'm actually becoming one. Are I, mean, you? I, mean, I feel like, I mean, I just uh, really. Do you have binoculars? Well, no, but when I go somewhere, people give me binoculars. And I, I was so lucky we went to the Amazon and, yeah. you know, saw all the Sam Toucan off the Kellogg's yeah. and you know, all that. So, you know. Sam uh, <laughs> and we did, and we did one okay. at the day tree. <laughs> we got some work to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, I'm not a Twitch yet, but I appreciate birds. Okay. I have no idea. Yeah, when they make yeah. a noise. When they make a noise, I'm like, I don't know what that is, but it must be something. So that's as far as I'm Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's, I think it's uh, a whole world that you know lots of people don't know about. Yeah, well, twitches are like hardcore. 
I never even heard the term, so mm. I'm definitely not one. Well, look it up. Um, the and if you're a, a proper twitcher, um, then PNG is a mecca. Okay, well, or New Guinea Island actually, which is half uh, Indonesia, you know, West Papua as we mm-hmm. call it. Um, you have 42 different species of birds of paradise, and I think 37 of them are in Papua New Guinea. Wow. You know, and I think you've got some in West Papua and then in Australia, I think, I believe the rifle bird in the far north Queensland is, is one of them as well. But um, so they all live in the highlands of PNG. And what you'll find with all tribes is generally speaking, whatever costume, it's like it's um, it's a reflection of their natural environment because we're still very connected to land and we'll come to that next. But um, so those the face painting usually reflects which birds are most common in the region because that's part of their environment. And just how I just was speaking to you about the um, binding fire dance and before we, I said to you, uh, set the scene, that it's a very volcanic area. So you've got fire, you've got volcanoes, you've got this dance that's reflecting that. In the highlands, most of the, like, the colours are reflecting of the birds of paradise. And when they're in natural regalia and their traditional regalia and costumes with the feathers coming out, you'll quite often will see whole birds actually in their in their heads and stuff, mm. um, which they're allowed to hunt because they're traditional hunting practices, but it's obviously a highly illegal trade to, wow. to deal with that. But, yeah, um, um, but then you've got, I mean, there's so many. You know, it's so <laughs> you know, many. We're going to actually have to do part two with you, I think, in Twitter because, yeah, you know, we haven't even got you. to, like, that, you know, food. But, that, I, I know. Number, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, I know you've got to go ring those people and um, we've got to eat all these pastries about bakery. Um, and blueberries. But, yeah, and you're a super interesting person and um, inspiring. And, inspiring oh, and, um, you know, you're, you're doing all this wonderful work and, and – and you've made a great business and made lots of lives wonderful. And yeah. I tell you, when I when I first met you with Sarah, you know, it was um, Sarah introduced us, and um, you know, we were so nervous to meet you. And um, so funny, it was like we set up the whole shed, oh, ready to go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was and, uh, an amazing day. And you got there, and you were so relaxed and big hugs, and it was just like. Oh. I feel like I've known you forever, but you know, there's this certain you know era that you have as well mm. uh, that that is um, you know it's like you're the the queen or something, you know. And I know you don't. And the reason that you laugh at that is the reason that you are, and, and like it is. Do you agree with me, Sarah? That's nice. You know, you just have this air guys. About you. I'm it, going red. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you should be going red. Out of your book, like I think it's you know for me as someone who has grown up with dad, you know, running his business and has fallen in love with business, mm. I've always thought there's got to be a social, there's got to be something social yeah. to it. Otherwise, this world is just going to stop spinning. Like we can't just be like you said before. Like in business, it can get quite hectic. It can get quite rough, and you can go, "Whoa, what? That's yeah. happening!" Like. And I think it's really important and the way I look at it is businesses are just big people. Yeah. They're just big people. And if we don't foster these businesses into something that matters, then they're just a shit person. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so true. <laughs> you know, like it's so it's it's inspiring and it's yeah, it's you you just have you. given me so much like new energy. So it's nice. Thank you. So guys. thank you for just sharing that story and your story in general. 
Thank you. Thank you for being you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Happy Ange Day, everyone. <laughs> uh, filling the love today. Thanks for having me. I, I look, seeing as though we're being so nice to each other right now, um, not that we're not, but um, I feel the same way. You know, I think we, we when we were starting out especially, I remember the first time I went to Rockley Markets about <laughs> five years ago and I was so intimidated. It was it was awful. I hated it, actually. Mm-hmm. I hated it. And I was like, I'm never going back there. Um, I can't do, you know, and, and then this was that taking that leap of faith. It's like if this is business and I have to, like there's got to be other people who just, as you said, for me, business, it's like you are the, especially family-owned ones, you are the brand. It, it becomes an extension of you, mm-hmm. right? You get to write the narrative. So make it a good one, yeah. right? Yeah. And so... When I first went to Rockley Markets and I sat there and someone brought out a PowerPoint presentation, I was like, what's going on? I just want a supplier. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, and that's just to get in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just like, can you or can you not help me? And can you not break down a box of tomatoes into half a box? Like they were the most, they were the questions I had. And they, just, they, start, they started with this presentation. I'm like, they must just think I'm stupid. But so I'm not saying that you guys are stupid or silly, but I, it's really nice. The beautiful part of business is along the way you meet people and you're like, it's not that I don't tra- check the invoices, but it's like you just know that you want to do business with like-minded people. So I think it's a wonderful thing. It, it's opened a new community for me. It's especially, to be honest, working with other women because I didn't work closely with women when I was chefing. Um so it's really wonderful to meet you guys as well and to have that same kind of blend of professionalism and silliness and to be able to, you know, create spaces where you can ask dumb questions. I was always say, like, I want to be able to look stupid. Like I want to, I don't want to listen to this PowerPoint and not ask if I can break down a box of tomatoes, <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, because that's, that's the biggest dilemma I have sometimes. Mm. So, yeah, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to work with you. Uh, we will have to do part two. I know that you're the <laughs> most busiest person, but I know when you're in Brisbane, you stay up the road from my house, hence why we got you here today. So we will do another one if you're if you're up for that, mm-hmm. um, and we'll talk about lots of other stuff. Uh, thank you. I will look at buying a yacht now. Uh, <laughs> but I know I definitely will be doing that trip, and I encourage mm. people who want to get inspired and run away from this world to um, to go try and be a yacht chef and um, learn how to do that. Uh, you're awesome. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you.